It is a blessing to have each of you with us this morning just to be able to worship and also to spend time uh, with the body of Christ, to be able to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. Uh, they've given me about 20 minutes. I joked that I don't know how I'm going to get everything in in 20 minutes, but we'll, we'll work it out. We're already running late because we had to redo one of the songs, so you guys will be fine. It's okay. Have you ever met someone that was famous? I've had the privilege on many occasions to meet various athletes and other people that we might consider to be famous. Uh, growing up in the Washington, D.C. area, as a kid, I met many of the Washington Redskin heroes, the ones who led them to a Super Bowl many years ago. I remember meeting John Riggins. He was their star running back. I remember meeting Dexter Manley. He almost ran me over one day as I was getting off the school bus. Uh, he was passing a stop school bus. He probably should have got a ticket for it, but that's okay. I met Daryl Green. At one point, he was the fastest man in the NFL. I also remember getting to meet uh, an individual. Some of y'all will recognize his name, Dikembe Mutombo. Uh, he was a uh, he was a center, I think, for the Atlanta Hawks, and he was huge, like seven feet tall. He was deep accent. I got a picture with him. It was a great opportunity just to be able to meet him. Um, I remember meeting a couple of Philadelphia Eagles on the golf course one day. I'll tell you, all those people that I just mentioned, obviously around here, y'all meet people all the time. Actually, I'll tell you something really, I know I'm 20 minute time limit, but it's okay. Uh, this past summer, I took my son to a camp. And it was a football camp at Clemson. And as we're standing in line going to the entrance, one of the Clemson football coaches came up and gave me a hug. And we got to talking, and there was a guy standing in front of me, and he said, hey, was that DeAndre McDaniels after he left? I said, yeah, it was. And uh, that was all I said, and I just went back to talking with Michael. A few minutes later, one of the Clemson basketball coaches comes up and gives me a hug. Well, I had coached both of their kids in sports. So uh, after he walked away, he said, hey, was that Terrell McIntyre? I said, yeah, that was Terrell. This guy looks at me and says, who are you? <laughs> I said, I'm a nobody. I just happen to know these guys. That's all. It is nice when you see these people that they're bigger than life. I would imagine that as we talk about the wise men, that in many ways they seemed bigger than life. Uh, other people felt pretty small when they were around them. And one of the questions I want to ask today is why do they matter to the Christmas story? So often we sing about them, we talk about them, or we've heard about them, but why do they even matter to the Christmas story? Throughout history, their story has evolved. Nowhere are we actually told how many wise men there were in the Christmas story. Although we typically portray them as having been three since they bring three gifts with them. What we know is that there were at least two because the word magi itself is a plural term. And at times, they've been labeled as being between two and as many as 12 people. This would not have included the incredible caravan that likely came with them. They had an entourage that would have been with them. It is likely that as they carried many items of great wealth, that they also brought some type of security to be with them that day. Perhaps that's why King Herod does not have them killed when they proclaim that they have come to find the one who is to be born king of the Jews. After all, he likely thought of himself as already being the king to the Jews. Or perhaps it was because of the country which they came from. There's some debate 
as to where they originated. What we know about them is that they came from the east and likely traveled a great distance to get to where Jesus was. The most common thought is that they actually originated out of Babylon, which was a nation that had become a part of the Persian Empire a few hundred years earlier. And while Rome was the most powerful nation in the world at that time, it is likely that Rome didn't really want to fight with the next most powerful nation in the world. So it would make sense that Herod would not want to fight with these wise men, these magi. Babylon was somewhere around 1,200 miles away. Let's keep them that way. History also reveals that there has been a shift over who they were. At some point, perhaps because they had an audience with the king, or perhaps because they had access to such great wealth, somewhere along the way they became known as kings. Y'all know the Christmas song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. That's where that originated. We even have names that were ascribed to these travelers. Their names were Balthazar, Melchior, and Gaspar. And often you will see their names referenced, although those names don't really appear in the history books until about the 8th century, much after their story had been told. So they probably weren't really kings. Instead, they were likely more than nothing more than just wise men. But it also should be noted that the reason we assume that these men came out of Babylon, again, part of Persia, is that the scriptures actually reveal the presence of such wise men in Babylon centuries earlier. The book of Daniel, often we don't use this with the Christmas story, but the book of Daniel portrays a dark time among the people of Israel. I referenced this two weeks ago in my sermon, but the Israelites were overrun by the Philistine, I'm sorry, by the Babylonians. To make matters worse, they took their children captive. They took children out of Israelite homes and they forced them to serve in Babylonian courts away from their families. Well, there were four Hebrew children that are often included in those who had been taken from their families. Their names were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These individuals would grow up in a Babylonian court and they would become people of importance to the king. They would be referred to as advisors. This was a common thing back then, just as it is today. A king had to have advisors. But these were not just people who could think logically. According to Daniel chapter 1 and 2, specifically in Daniel 2 verse 2, these men were not, these men were, they were magicians, they were enchanters, they were sorcerers and astrologers. You could imagine why a king would want such people around him. So it almost reminds me a little bit of Pharaoh. You remember the story of uh, uh, Moses when he came before Pharaoh and he turned his staff into a serpent and the, the sorcerers and magicians were able to imitate what they saw from Moses, although theirs were always a little less than what his were. I've heard it argued that these people were just illusionists, or perhaps they were familiar with some type of science that enabled them to do cool tricks. But what I want you to recognize is that Daniel gets grouped together with the wise men. In Daniel chapter 2, the king had a dream, and he appears to be somewhat fed up with all of his advisors. He doesn't believe them. He feels like they're manipulating the situation. 
So he gives them a seemingly impossible task. He says, I not only want you to interpret my dream, but I want to make sure that it's really correct. So this is what I need from you. I need you to tell me what I dreamed first. If you get it right, I'll know that your interpretation is probably right also. Well, the advisors are unable to do what the king is asking, so the king sets out to have all these magicians and sorcerers and astrologers killed. That includes Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, I'm not going to get into all the details of the story, but I'll just say that God uses Daniel. He tells the king what his dream included, and then he interprets it for the king. And I want you to listen to the response of the king to Daniel. It's found in Daniel chapter 2, verse 46 through 48. It says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler, chief in other words, of the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. What that means is that Daniel not only is considered a wise man, but he becomes the chief of all of these wise men. That means that he likely taught others his wisdom and perhaps even pointed others like these wise men that would follow after Jesus many years later to the God of the Hebrews. Listen, nobody would suggest that it was a good thing for the Israelites to have been taken captive, to have their children taken from their homes. But perhaps their captivity is redeemed in the fact that this opened up a door for future generations of wise men from a foreign Gentile country who would be seeking the one who would be born king of the Jews at a time when not even the Jews were looking for that. I want to pause for a moment what I'm sharing specifically to ask you a question. What is it in your life that has taken place that God longs to redeem by turning it into something good? What is the pain that you've had to endure that God could turn it into his tool to help others? What is the struggle that has caused you to lean more heavily on Jesus? I believe that God is still more than able to take our hardship and our pain and turn it into something spectacular. I want to get back to the story real quick. These wise men who are also described, I don't know if you caught the last term, as astrologers. And so it makes sense that when they appear on the scene, they declare that they had seen his star rise in the east. And now they have come to pay homage to this newborn king. In verse 10, it tells us that when they saw the star specifically resting over the house, which Jesus and his family were staying at, they are overjoyed. They're not just filled with joy, but they are overjoyed. You almost get the idea that their joy is splashing out. They can't contain their excitement, and it makes sense. 
on the one hand, they've journeyed like over 1,200 miles to get there. That took planning. It took time, dedication. Don't you know that it felt good to finally reach their destination? I remember years ago as a college student, having to drive home for the holidays. It was about an eight-and-a-half-hour drive, and I would see certain things that told me that I was almost home, and suddenly there would be this sense of excitement. The long journey was almost over. These guys have traveled for 1,200 miles. Do you think they would have been excited to get there? And by the way, they didn't have vehicles like we do where I was able to drive 55 miles per hour. Actually, I'm not even sure if my vehicle only drove 55 miles per hour during that time. In their case, it is estimated by most historians that under the best of circumstances, they could have progressed somewhere around 35 miles per day. Remember, they went 1,200 miles. If you do the math, that means that they would have traveled for at least 35 days, and that's if there is no bad weather, nothing to delay their trip. The reality is they likely spent as many as two months traveling to go see this Jesus. Do you think they would have been overjoyed to finally get there? But of course, they weren't just overjoyed because the long journey had come to an end. They were overjoyed because of what they saw at the end of their journey. Back in the book of Matthew, verse 11 says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They saw this child. Yes, everybody loves a newborn baby. We get it. But this was about much more than just seeing a newborn baby. This baby was special. In fact, let me take you back to the book of Daniel one more time. Daniel chapter 2. Remember that the wise men would have been quite familiar with the story of Daniel because he became their chief, kind of the master. And it's likely that Daniel did much to teach the other wise men about what was to come. Well, the interpretation of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the one that nobody else could even tell about, the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream is really important to the story of Jesus. King Nebuchadnezzar's dream detailed various kingdoms that would come after him. There would be moments of weakness, moments of strength. There would be good kings and bad kings that would reign for a very short time. But then there was one last kingdom that Daniel tells him about. Listen to it, Daniel 2, verse 44 and 45. In the time of those kings, the good and the bad ones, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. It is evident that these wise men, the ones that would follow after Daniel, they saw this one who was being born king of the Jews as being the one whose kingdom would never be destroyed the one who would crush all of the other kingdoms and it would endure forever. So they're likely overjoyed, not just because they reached their final destination, 
but because the king who is lying before them is the Messiah that all had been waiting for. And they do not, they do what only seems natural. Actually, did you catch what they do? They saw the child and they worshiped him. They bowed down immediately. They knew their role. They find themselves in the presence of God. And they are naturally drawn to worship. Do you remember the triumphal entry to Jerusalem when Jesus comes later on? And as he is approaching, the people begin to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. The religious leaders complain about what they're doing. And Jesus says that if they don't cry out, the rocks will cry out themselves. These kings, they just do what comes natural. They worship. You're with the king of kings and lord of lords. It makes sense. The point is that I don't know that this was some well-orchestrated event. They just showed up and they did. I think they naturally found themselves in an act of worship. It just happened. Now, what was orchestrated, though, was that they brought with them gifts. Knowing the prophecies that had been given, knowing that this is likely the king that Daniel has told us about, they could not show up empty-handed. So they present to this newborn king gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. While there are are those those who could probably tell you an awful lot about what each of those those gifts means individually, what I want you to recognize this morning is that these were each of great value. It was a sacrifice to give such gifts, but it just seemed like the right thing to do. Maybe today you don't have gold, you're fresh out of frankincense, you left your myrrh at the house. My question to you is, what do you bring to the Lord as we are in his midst? Is it your talents and abilities? Man, I've been so amazed by the talents and the abilities of all the people, not only the ones on the stage, even those who have taken care of all the sound and the video stuff. I am so amazed at those talents and abilities. What do you bring to the table? Let me suggest to you, that the thing which God truly desires most from you is your heart. He wants you to commit to follow him. What those wise men do, whether we're talking about two, three, or 12, or however many there were, what they do is they determine in their hearts, I can't stay here. The king is being born over here, and I need to go. I believe today that the greatest thing that you could do is not to give more money. If you do, we'll all celebrate and we'll say thanks. But I assure you that God is far more interested in your heart than he is anything else that you could bring. We'll be impressed with your gifts, your talents, all the abilities that you have, but God is far more interested in you surrendering your heart and choosing to follow after him. Because that, that is what these wise men, these magi do. They give everything of themselves. They cannot stay where they are. They have to go and experience firsthand the Savior of the world. You know, some of you have heard about the Savior of the world. You have an acquaintance with him. You know who he is. You've heard stories about him. Have you personally experienced him the way these wise men did that day? I believe today that that's what God desires for you is to experience him firsthand. And if you've not done so, it's time to do so.
I'm going to close us in a word of prayer, and as I do, I want to challenge you. Maybe today you have not yet experienced the Savior of the world. He is dying for a relationship with you, if you will only respond to him. With every head bowed and eye closed, Father, we come before you today. Well, we are so grateful for you. We're so grateful that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, as a gift to humanity to live among us, to experience all that humanity has to offer, but then to become the sacrifice, to pay the price for our sins. All the way back in Genesis, we know that the wage of sin has always been death, and you became the sacrifice for us. You died so that we wouldn't have to. Lord, we look forward to the day that we too will overcome sin and death, and we will be able to enter into your presence, and we will no longer have to deal with sickness, sorrow, sadness, any of the things that we deal with here today. They're going to be gone. Lord, until that day comes, I pray that you would help us to prepare for that day. If there be one here today that does not yet have a relationship with you, and maybe that sounds weird, Lord, I pray that right now you would reveal yourself to them, that they would know the presence of God, not only in this place, but in their hearts. But I pray that they would have a personal encounter with the King of Kings who would come to the world to save them. Father, I pray that you would forgive us of our sins, that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and from this moment forward, we would be able to walk as those who know the greatest celebrity, the greatest king to ever walk the face of this earth. Father, I pray for that personal relationship to become real to each of us. Again, we thank you that you allowed us to experience a relationship with you. I pray that it would mean everything to us. And everything we do, let it be evident. The way we talk to other people, the attitudes we display, the choices that we make, the things we watch, everything that we do, let it be a part of of that relationship that we have with you. Father, I pray today that you would have your way in this Christmas season. I know we still got a couple weeks until Christmas is actually here, but I pray that this would be the most meaningful time in our lives as we celebrate the coming of a great king. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It is truly a blessing to have you with us this morning. and. Uh, I told you this stool would not cause me to go longer, so I'm going to honor that. I will tell you this, if you do not have a church home, we would absolutely love for you to come be here on a Sunday morning when we don't have all the musical stuff. Uh, we, we sing music, uh, we do a message, we do all of those things, but if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to come be a part of our church and I am so grateful again for each of those who have sung. We're going to close. These guys are going to play, and they're going to come up, and they're going to receive our tithes and offering. And then after we do that, then I'll come back, and I'll have a closing word of prayer. Is that good? All right, that's good. So I'm going to ask the ushers if they would come at this time, and we're going to receive our morning tithes and offering.
would, actually, you can cheer for them. It's okay. If you would, first of all, if you were a part of the program, would you just stand up where you are? Would you express appreciation to them? I am grateful for each of them. I am grateful for you. Thank you for being with us this morning. Go in peace.